tired of being tired all the time? Have you wondered if there's got to be something more out there? Hi, I'm Kristen Latini, and I started asking myself these very same questions a few years into working mom life. And the type A scientist in me could not let it go. So I got curious, and the Build Your Own Fairy Tale podcast was born. Join me each week as we dig into different ways to do life, whether that's decluttering your closet or starting a side hustle. Together, we'll uncover steps toward the ultimate fairy tale. So consider yourself sprinkled with fairy dust, and let's go. Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Own Fairy Tale. Today, I wanted to start by talking about identity. How many times have you been introduced to someone new, you're at a party, you say, so what do you do? We put so much weight on our jobs, right? It's, I'm a doctor, a lawyer, I'm a manager, and that is how we identify. So what do you do when that identity is stripped away in the blink of an eye? Has that ever happened to you? It's a crazy roller coaster, right? For today's guest, her identity was as an athlete playing soccer at the collegiate level. And all of that changed in her senior year when, as you'll hear, she was told it was no longer safe to play. So what do you do? These are moments when our mental strength is challenged and really needed to move forward and reinvent that next identity. With this in mind, I thought today's conversation would be perfect to start the month of February with because I am trying something new in 2023. I am trying to group these episodes by a monthly theme or something to pull them all together in addition to the fact that these are all people building careers outside of those traditional nine to five pathways. So for February, we are talking about mindset and purpose and how perfect is that because you really need to focus on that mindset and that mental strength when that identity is challenged and you're trying to figure it out. So I had a few dream guests immediately come to mind when I thought this could be the topic for February. And I had heard Lauren Johnson speak at a corporate event in my last role. And I've been following her on social media ever since. She'll tell you she's not a motivational speaker, but this is definitely the type of conversation that gets me excited. The self-help nerd in me gets all sorts of hyped up. Lauren is a mental performance coach. And before you say, well, what is that? (laughs) Lauren is going to explain that. Today, she works with CEOs, professional athletes, and Fortune 500 companies through speaking engagements, workshops, and consulting. Prior to opening her own consulting practice, she served as the mental conditioning coordinator for a team you may have heard before called the New York Yankees. She's an athlete herself, so I thought it was even more perfect alignment that the fact that February 1st was National Girls and Women in Sports Day. So I love when all the themes come together like this. Lord is going to share practical, straightforward advice and mental performance strategies that will help us be better humans, which obviously helps us get closer to the fairy tale, right? Let's get to it. Please help me welcome Lauren Johnson. Lauren, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this. Same here. And, you know, you are a mental performance coach, which I find to be super cool, but also I'm not quite sure how to explain that. So can we start with what is mental performance? Yes, a great, great question. Uh, for a long time, I didn't know what it was either. So really what mental performance is, it's the psychology of performance. And so a lot of times, especially when we think of athletes, it's a really good example to use, is they focus a lot on the physical aspect, right? They're in the gym, they're putting in the reps, they're on the field working on the tactical, technical performance things. But what about the mental performance? What about the stuff from your mind that impacts all those things that we do when we're actually in game? 
that's where I come in. And so what I'm not is I'm not a clinical psych. So a lot of people will ask me that like, oh, so you're like a therapist. I'm like, not exactly. I do not diagnose and treat clinical disorders. And I'm not a motivational coach or speaker, even though a lot of people are like, oh, you do speaking, you must do motivational speaking. Well, some of my stuff, you know, may, you know, leave you motivated. However, the goal of this is actually to provide you tangible tools and strategies that you can take yourself that will impact your mental game. Because you'll hear me say this, mindset is not everything, but it impacts everything. And so when you can match and pair up a very well-trained mind with all the other things you bring to the table, you will be amazed at what you can do. I just need to say that again. Mindset is not everything, but it impacts everything. Is that what you said? Yes. By the way, that came about because I was actually walking into a locker room with all these professional um, baseball coaches. And one coach, we were, we were chatting it up and he said, Lauren, mindset is everything. And I kind of stopped to myself. It like stopped me in my tracks because I was like, well, if that's, if that were true, none of you would have a job in here. <laughs> I would be a major leaguer and we just know that's not the case, right? And the point is, is that it is not everything. You can't just have a good mindset and then stand, you know, in a World Series scenario, step in the box and hit a 90 mile an hour fastball down the middle. You just can't, that's just not going to happen if you don't come with all the other things. So all the other things are equally as important. But what we know is that if you're able to pair that with your mind, with a well-trained minds that can deal with adversity, that can deal with the self-doubt that creeps in, that can deal with bouncing back from failure when it occurs, then you will be you will be amazed at how much more you'll be able to perform and what a bigger capacity you'll be able to perform from. Wow. Hearing you describe it, I'm like, that sounds very straightforward. It's simple, but I know it's really hard. You said it very well. It's simple, but not easy. And so a lot of the tools and strategies that, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about today, you might go like, oh, okay. And sometimes they can be so simple that they're easy to ignore. But what we know is just like any programmable device is that if you have a great hardware, it's only beneficial if you pair it with good software. Yeah. Oh, I like that one too. You can have the latest and greatest computer but if you haven't updated the software in a while, you'll notice some glitches. You'll notice it doesn't perform at its capacity. And so it has little to do with what you're capable of doing and a lot more to do with what you are willing to actually go do. Oh, I love it. This topic is so juicy. <laughs> Just because I happened to be watching last night some football playoff games. And I don't know if you saw, but the kicker, I believe it was the Dallas Cowboys, missed four field goals in a row hasn't done that in ages. And I heard my husband say like, oh my gosh, he's just in his head. So I feel like today's topic, we all need it. Professional NFL players need it. Professional baseball players need it. Like we can all benefit. So I'm very excited. <laughs> yeah, I, I could not agree more. And while I don't know that player, I bet you, you know, we don't need to, to know that there is probably something going on from a mental performance aspect where anxiety starts to rise. The fear of what ifs, like what if I miss another one starts to arise and the thought of like, okay, just, just don't make a mistake. And then suddenly that's exactly what happens. So there's a lot of that that we see. So we can kind of, you know, really boil it down to conclude that that's probably uh, partially what was going on. Yeah. Okay. So how did you even discover and get into this field? I got into this because I was the person that needed it the most. 
I was on a panel recently and this incredible woman, she's a phenomenal yoga instructor. She said, the things that break us are often the things that bond us. The things that we need the most are often the things that we teach. And I was like, a freaking men, sister. I played soccer my whole life from the age of five, all, all the way to the collegiate level. And I absolutely loved it. I think because it was equally fun as it was challenging. And I love a good challenge. And it was actually my third game into my senior year. And I just come back from an injury and I go up for this header and this girl, she said, she's about to like wind up and take a shot on goal. And I headed out of the way. And I mean, it was a pretty, pretty hard shot. And I fall to the ground and I immediately knew what happened when I stood up. I had just received my fifth concussion and came off the field, you know, went and got a brain scan and the neurologist comes to the room and he said, um, Lauren, it's not safe for you to play anymore because he said a normal part of the game should not be causing such a significant injury. And therefore I, I, Lauren, I can't guarantee the next one won't be permanent. And, you know, for anybody listening, if you know what it's like to have something you love taken away and it wasn't your choice, you probably knew what I was feeling in that moment. I felt really helpless. And to the point where I was even like, okay, doc, like we may just need to get a second opinion. And uh, he stopped me and he said, uh, Lauren, I don't think you're understanding. He said, do you want to remember your name when you're 40? And that hit me like a ton of bricks. And I kind of realized the severity of what was happening. So I, uh, I knew what decision I needed to make because my health was more important. My position drastically changed. You know, I went from being on the field and impacting the game to impacting it from the sidelines. And to say that was an easy transition would be a lie. It was insanely difficult, but it was the best thing to happen to me. I actually gave me a moment to step back and actually ended up taking an elective course in sports psychology because to be honest with you, I was kind of bored. I'm like, all right, like this is great. Like I, yes, I would, there was a lot of challenge, you know, being on the sidelines, but it was a different kind of challenge. So I was like, well, like, let's see if I can challenge myself in other ways. So I found this random elective course in sports psychology. And prior to taking that, you know, I was getting a degree in kinesiology. I was going to be a physical therapist. So I get in this class. I'm the, first of all, I'm the only one to sign up for it. So the guy's like, no offense, Lauren, but I'm not coming to class just for you. So uh, he's like, we're going to make it an independent study. And I was like, all right, fine. And I fell in love with it. Like fell completely in love with it. And as I was reading the material and learning, I remember thinking to myself, what kind of player would I have been if I would have known these things? And then I thought, how many people can I help now that I do? And that's what actually helped me or encouraged me and motivated me to pursue a master's degree in performance psychology which has led me to, you know, kind of where I am today. But it was a wild journey and not an expected one, to be quite honest. Wow. I think that's an amazing story. That's your identity, right? Like you were a soccer player and then suddenly you weren't. So I think it's amazing how you were able to make that transition, even though it wasn't easy, and then find this new area that you could fall in love with and then help others. So 
more into that in a second. But first, I also feel the need to ask you our signature question here. If you could be a fairy tale or fictional character, who would you be and why? Okay. So I thought about this because this is not a typical question, I guess. (laughs) And I wanted to really think about and be intentional about it. And I would be the magic mirror in Snow White. Ooh, okay. The reason why is because somebody asked me this once. He said, if you could create any product, like again, it could be like something that's like totally made up, like you could never actually be made. What kind of product would you make? And I said, I would want to make a mirror that reflected back to us how others we love see us. Because sometimes we don't see the beauty in ourselves as well as somebody that loves us from the outside does. And so I would love to create a mirror, like a magic mirror that would reflect those things back to each and every one of us so that we can have the perspective of somebody else and give ourselves credit and love and support and kindness and those things that sometimes we often uh, struggle to give ourselves. Yeah, I love that answer. We have not had a magic mirror or any type of mirror answer before on the show. So I love it. And it's true. We're our own toughest critics, right? Like if you could hear what other people felt positively about you, it might be a little easier to have some grace with ourselves. Well, and I think too (laughs) that like something I do, and it's like, I guess my own form of magic mirror is when anybody is kind or generous enough to share how my work or my support has been beneficial to them. I save that and I have it in a file. And when I'm feeling down or like I'm not making an impact, I go back to that file and I reread them. And it's almost like my own version of the magic mirror. And so if there's anybody on here listening to this uh, and you have had feedback like that, like take it and save it and put it somewhere because even just the simple act of reading somebody else's words and how you may have impacted them, even if it was so small, you'd be amazed how much confidence that can give us and motivation to continue doing what we're doing, especially when we're in a difficult spot. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So good. So now let's jump back into your career. So you got this master's and I understand you went to work with a little team called the Yankees. So you're working with professional baseball players and I want to know, speaking of like our own harshest critics and that self-talk, you came in as a, you know, a young woman with all these professional baseball players and you're there to help coach them from a mental performance aspect. Did you ever have any of that imposter syndrome or who am I to do this? Or I can see myself in that position saying, oh gosh, like what are they going to think of me when I walk in as they're here to help them? Yes. Like I can't say yes fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> I was the first woman in player development. Which is, I mean, me and, sorry, myself and one other uh, woman, she's amazing. She was the uh, English and Spanish teacher for our players because we would have different languages and she would teach that to both people like me to learn Spanish and our Spanish speaking players to uh, learn English. Both of us came in at the same time. And I remember I'm sitting in my first coaches meeting and I have no problem being in a room full of men. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm able to handle that in you know, business setting and a work setting, like no problem. And it was interesting because 
It's like, they didn't know what to do with me. <laughs> and it wasn't, it there was no, you know, no disrespect, none of that, but it was almost like, what can we say? What can't we say? Do we have to like pull our punches in front of her? Like, do we have to like edit the way we say things in front of her? And it was actually a really like fun kind of learning experience for me because, you know, I would have, I would have coaches just come in my office and close the door and be like, all right. So what are my limits? Like, what can I say? What can I say? And I, it was, I noticed they, they kind of like were, they never had that before. So they were like, okay, how do we adjust in the most respectful way? And it was amazing because I, <laughs> the Yankees are so supportive. I couldn't have walked into a more supportive system than that. And so I, I have to say I was very lucky, but it didn't take away the feeling of, I want to prove myself. And do I deserve to be here? And really that's what imposter syndrome is. It's attributing kind of where we are to luck rather than like our abilities. And, um, and it was, it was, uh, I should say like not easy at the very beginning, but I think I had to continuously remind myself that to be where I want to be in a system like this, don't force yourself onto players in terms of like, you need to work with me, like all of this. No, like let them come to you. And so what my goal was, was just to build the best relationships I could and see where it went from there. And kind of the, I'd say the three things that really helped me through imposter syndrome. And by the way, I still experience it. You know, every new level is going to require a new level of you. So when I level up myself in any way, in my own personal ways, I feel that. And so the first thing is to recognize that what you're feeling is imposter syndrome and because you can't change anything you're not aware of. And then the next thing is to like, for me, it was to really focus on doing good work. And I have my own definition of what that looks like. And so what I did is I put my focus instead of on the outcome of like, oh, I want these players to work with me. I want to make an impact. It was what can I control? So I put my focus back within my control and it was like, what does good work look like? Do that. And then the third thing was I would seek feedback. Positive and negative feedback are both great. Positive feedback will, you know, reaffirm what you're doing is, is, you know, is good. It'll give you motivation. It'll build confidence. And negative feedback really helps us to look at what we're doing and maybe ways that we need to make tweaks or to improve. And so that's kind of the strategy that I used. And as I continued to gather evidence that what I was doing was beneficial and that I know what I'm talking about and that I know what I'm doing. It was easier for me to practice self-compassion and go, okay, now I can celebrate these little wins versus just attributing it all to like, well, that was just lucky. Because I think a lot of us, you know, tend to do that for ourselves. For sure. And so comforting to hear that you even still have <laughs> have this at times, you know, it's not, it's not something that you just get past and never happens again. Like it can come up even for the most seasons of professionals and that's what I loved about this topic and this month focusing on mindset and how do you have that self-awareness because whether you're a professional athlete or not, like this work comes into play in whatever you choose to do in life. Which is why I love this topic, which is why I love what I do is because we are all humans at the end of the day. The psychology of the human mind, yes, there are individual differences, of course, but it's the same whether you are a CEO, a professional athlete, an employee, you know, a mom, a dad, like it doesn't matter. 
This applies to everybody. And so whatever high performance looks like for you, these kinds of things help you to perform at a high level more often. And so you don't have to be a professional. Sure, we're using these you know, examples and these analogies, but anybody listening, I want you to think about, okay, how can I apply this to myself? What does performance look like to me? What does success look like to me? What do my goals look like to me? What does high performance mean to me? And then apply these, you know, as such. Yep. I was thinking too, not everyone thinks like, oh, I want to be the high performer, right? But at the same time, I don't think anyone wakes up. And I think you've said this, like just wanting to be average. Like, I just want to be average today. Yeah. You're all looking in the mirror and go, today we're shooting to be average. Like, no, (laughs) right? Now, granted, have, you know, we felt like that's all we can give some days. Sure. But that's just because your best changes day to day. So your best on the scale of what you've ever seen your best at may look average one day, but that may be your best that day. And that's okay. That's totally okay. Because as you continue to do your best in whatever capacity that you have, that begins to get better over time. And now you just see the bar like little by little, your best starts just like creeping up and up and up. And suddenly you're just like, oh my gosh, you, if you're anything like me, you look back at a video you made a year ago and you're like, that's embarrassing. And at the time you're like, this is so good, (laughs) but that's the goal. The goal, my goal is that what I'm making today, I can look back on five years from now and go, wow, that was crap, Lauren, because that means that I'm constantly evolving and developing and learning and changing. And that is the goal. Yeah. Oh, so good. And you've already given us that little tidbit about, you know, saving those positive accolades or, you know, pep talks, whatever you want to call those things that you can save and look into when you need a boost. But what are some other actionable tools or tips that we can use to really feel empowered in this mental performance department so that when we are having that like moment of doubt or what will so-and-so say, what will my family say, what will my boss say? you can feel empowered to make the decision that you feel in your gut, even if it's not what society tells you is the decision to make. Because I feel like even for me, like walking away from a solid corporate gig with a company that I loved, it's admired. The scariest part to me was what was everyone going to say? Not the, are we going to lose our house, right? That was also a real discussion and something that my husband and I talked about. But the bigger fear, which I find crazy, is that what will everybody say? What will this look like? What will people think? And I just, there's got to be something there that we can work on so that that's not the biggest barrier because it really shouldn't be. I was working with a big executive. I'm not going to say the company just because for fear that people might know who it is. A, A big company on the internet. We'll just put it that way. And I'm working with this executive and she came to me and she said, um, Lauren, I'm really struggling with, with confidence. And by the way, this person, she directly reported to the CEO of this billion dollar company. So she was like way up there. Somebody where you go, you struggle with confidence, you know? And I asked her, I said, do you know how a lake gets its water? And she kind of looked at me confused and she was like, um... I mean, there's like multiple sources, right? She's so she started rattling them off. She goes, things like streams from other sources of water, um, you know, snow melt, rain, et cetera. And I said, Yeah, exactly. There's multiple sources. So my question to you is, what are your sources of confidence? And she kind of stopped and she went, Uh-huh. 
One of my sources is the opinions of others, especially the opinions of those that I report to. And then she went on to some other sources, but we kept coming back to that one particular source. And she goes, but Lauren, what's wrong with that? Like, what's wrong with wanting the opinions of others, especially people that you are reporting to, to be good? And I said, there's nothing wrong with that. The only, she goes, because it only makes up about 5% of like my, you know, 100% of confidence. And I said, yeah, but the problem is when that 5% outweighs the other 95%. And I said, if we're relying on somebody else to tell us we're doing a good job, I said, what we're not doing is we're not able to trust our own definition of what it means to do a good job. Because the truth is, that guy don't always have time to tell you how good you're doing. They trust you enough to know what that is. And so if they're constantly having to make you feel good so that you can go be good, that's the problem. Because your feelings will not always cooperate with your goals. You're not always going to feel like it. Nobody won the Olympics and said, you know what? I got here because I felt like training every day. Nobody (laughs) did that, right? Like we don't always feel like it. And so the important thing is to understand you're not always going to feel like it. And that's the battle you're going to have to, you're going to have to win. You're going to have to go up against. And now granted, you won't win it every single time, but if you lose it every single time, that's a problem. And so what we did is we said, we need to develop other sources. Again, that can remain a source, but it can't be the only one. And it can't be the one that carries the most weight. So for anybody listening, one way that we can help to develop our own sources of confidence is we have to be the one that we come to to ask, did I do a good job? We have to find the evidence. And to be able to find the evidence, we have to have a KPI. We have to have a measurable. We have to have something that says, this is how I define success. And then we need to measure it against our actual actions. And did I do what I say I was going to do? Did I do the things within my control? What things within my control can I improve? What things outside of my control that I didn't expect to happen happened that impacted what I could do? As we begin to lead with curiosity and begin to audit our actions and audit the things we do and audit what we believe success is, then we start to trust ourselves and our abilities. Because I I remember somebody said this to me once, they're like... (laughs) Actually, I I hated this growing up when I was playing soccer, you know, as a kid, people are like, Lauren, you just got to believe. And I'm like, thanks, Dan. Like if I, if that worked, like I would just be on fire with just this great belief, but just telling somebody to believe doesn't work. What I've learned is that one way to adopt a new belief is to adopt new evidence. And how do we do that? Is we have to act in support of the belief that we want. So if you want to be the person that believes like I am a runner or I am this or I am that is now you have to ask, are my actions supporting that? For example, I was working with a player at the Yankees and he really struggled with um, the confidence to speak up. He really struggled with it because he was told at a young age that he's not very good at speaking um, because he used to have a really bad stutter. And so he, every time there was an opportunity to speak and he avoided it, he acted in support of the belief that I'm not good at speaking. 
And so I said, is that who you want to be? And he's like, no, it's a burden. I hate it. I said, great. Who do you want to be? I said, Lauren, I want to be the person that could walk right up to my coach and ask, how did I do? And be, be willing to receive the honest answer. He's like, I also want to be the person that can raise my hand when you come and talk to our team because I have good things to say. And he said, great. So what actions do you need to do to support that new belief? And we came up with actions as he put in the work, as he put in the reps and kept providing evidence to his brain, he began to believe it. And that evidence to your brain, like I think I'm just thinking of too, like the people that you hang out with. So if you want to be someone who speaks to lot, like start making friends with your teammates who do that, you know, see what they do, try to learn from them and take those cues. It's like the people that you hang out with. Yes. And so that's where a lot of our, our confidence comes a lot from our ability to do what we say we're going to do. Confidence is one of those things, in my opinion, that it's important to know your sources because it'll tell you a lot about what is driving your confidence or diminishing it. We can make decisions based on that. But confidence is one of those things that sometimes you have it and sometimes you don't. And the important thing is to know is that you don't have to feel confident to act confidently because your feelings and actions do not have to match to coexist. So you can make a confident action because you know this is what makes you successful. You know this is going to move the needle forward. You know that this is going to challenge you in a way that is going to help you to grow. You know those things. The feeling does not have to be there in order to act it. Because we can't always control how we feel, but we can control our actions in response to our feelings. And so that's why I hate the phrase, fake it till you make it. It's learn to behave it regardless of how you feel. I like that one too. You've got some good ones, Lauren. <laughs> Thank you. And I was thinking too, like my, my original intent too with talking to you on this topic was, okay, our mental performance can impact just how we dream and how we create those fairy tale visions for ourselves. So hearing you talk about that confidence, I can already see some of like the more confident you are and you behave in that way that you can do these new things. It opens up your mind to even have those dreams, right? So can a growth mindset and, you know, Doing those reps and mental performance help us get clarity and dream big for those fairy tales. Yeah. But I will tell you, this is one of the things I work with a lot of my clients on. One of the biggest things that actually like limits our dreaming is thinking about how we're going to do it or how we're going to accomplish that dream. So for anybody listening, one of the things that I would want you to do is pull out a piece of paper. And I I have a whole visualization exercise I go through with my clients. And while we don't have time to do that right now, what you can do in a short version is pull out a piece of paper. And I want you to think five years ahead. And I want you to think about what you want. I want you to think of it from all areas, from work, personal, physical, mental, spiritual perspective. And I want you to write all that down. Just the what, not the how, not the why, just what? Because when we start to think beyond what at the very beginning, our brain, our rational brain kicks in and goes, well, how are you going to do that? And then it goes, well, let's just dial it down a little bit. That's We know we can do that. The more crazy and out there it is, the more you go, there's no way, the better you're doing. So the how I want you to dream is I want you to dream so freaking big that you're almost like in disbelief that that's even a possibility. Because again, what limits us 
is thinking of the how. Our rational brain goes, wait, one plus one, uh, I don't know about that. And the goal is to really understand what you want. So you go five years ahead, then back it down to three. What would you want? What do you want in three years? And then back it down for the next 12 months and then back it down even further to the next 90 days. Just the what. Then the next step is understanding why the hell you want it in the first place. Because a lot of times we go, okay, this is what I want. What I want is... I want to be fit. And how I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that by eating healthy and working out this many days a week. Like we stop there and we're just like, there it is. And that's not very motivating, you know, because you have to think about the battles you're up against. You're up against the battles of not feeling like it. You're up against the battles of life. You're up against the battles of when you have no mental fortitude left, when your willpower is completely drained at the end of the day, what are you going to do in those moments? Those are the reasons most people don't follow through with their goals. There's a huge stat that says essentially by week three of the new year, it's a crazy stat. I forget. I'm, I'm, I don't know exactly. So don't quote me on this, but it's something crazy. Like seventy uh, percent of people have already st- like have already given up on their New Year's resolutions. And so it's not because they're not capable. It's because they're not training their mind to deal with the inevitable things that life is going to throw at you. And so when I think about goal setting and dreaming and dreaming big. I always want to start with the what and work backwards. Why is next? Because why is like the engine of a car? You can have a beautiful car, but without an engine, you won't go anywhere. And so we need to understand what is going to drive that car. What is going to drive you when it's raining outside? What's going to drive you when a storm is looming? What is going to drive you when things are really dark and it's really tough to see even three feet in front of you? What is going to drive you? And then once we understand that, then we can get to, all right, so how the hell are we going to do it? And then when we dive into that, now you've got a really great picture in terms of what you want, why you want it, and what you're going to do about it. And I'd say the last thing that you want to think about, and again, something this is um, uh, research done by Gabrielle Ottengen of NYU. She talks about how positivity can really actually put us in a really bad position with our goals. And now one of the biggest reasons we don't stick with our goals is because we don't consider what could go wrong. Mm. The second something does go wrong, our brain goes, ah, well, we gave it a good try, you know, maybe (laughs) next year and we just kind of move on. And so one way you can prime your brain to deal with obstacles and adversities that are going to be ahead of you is to think about making difficult decisions before they need to be made. Because have you ever tried to make a plan when your emotions are through the roof? Yeah, not good. (laughs) We don't typically make the best ones, right? We think about it ahead of time. We go, okay, if this happens, like if I don't get the job, if I get injured, if fill in the blank, then I will. And describe the behavior you wish to follow. And think about it as responding from your highest performing self. What you're doing when you create if-then plans is you're creating a connection in your brain between what could happen and the behavior you wish to follow. And your brain's going to love it because its only job now is to execute. It doesn't have to create the plan. It just has to execute the plan. Take time thinking through what could go wrong. You know, Maybe your kid gets sick and suddenly you can't make it to the gym. Now what? 
you know, you have to think about what are the things that you can do. And whenever I do this with people and they go, okay, well, okay, well, what if I, what if my goal is to go to the gym and I can't go? I think about, okay, how can you lower the intensity? Like if you were going to go to the gym and you were going to work out for an hour, what can you do at home? You're me, you're lowering intensity, but you're remaining consistent despite it. Because intensity, you can turn up and down based on whatever life has to throw at you, but consistency is what matters most. Doing something is better than doing nothing. And so what would that be for you? I love this process of thinking about what's going to go wrong before it happens. Because even just, you know, as moms, thinking of healthy eating, you want we all know we should be eating, but it's not always easy when they come home from school and they want, you know, the goldfish or we're at a birthday party and there's cake. Like those obstacles are inevitably going to come up. And I have fallen down there more than once. So just thinking about it beforehand could be a way to, then you don't just have to rely on willpower. It's like your brain is on the same team then. Oh, so well said. I love that you like, but your brain is on the same team. It's so true. And it's funny. I learned, I, I, I learned about this actually through my grandfather. So my grandfather was a horse racing steward at some like really prominent racetracks all throughout California. Stewards are essentially the referees of horse racing. So they decide who wins a race, like who gets what place they're in, if they have to dish out any fines. That was his job. And he was very well known throughout the industry. My mom, she, this is way before I was born. And my mom was telling me the story. She said, one day I was, we were sitting at the dinner table and she said, you know, my, my grandfather walks in, um, you know, from work and he commuted two to two and a half hours to work and home. So it was about a, sometimes like a five hour commute based on traffic. And she asked him, she goes, dad, do do you like driving? You know, do you like driving or sitting in traffic? And he kind of like chuckled. He's like, no, like, why do you ask? She said, because I never hear you complain about it. And he said, that's because I signed on the line. He said, nobody forced me to take the job. I knew what was required and I took it knowing that. And so it made me think that before you sign the dotted line of your goals, you also have to understand and recognize that you're signing up for all that's required of it. And those things, you know, it may require a two and a half hour commute. It may require getting up early. It may require some sacrifice or not attending certain gatherings or having to go against, you know, the status quo of what everybody knew you to be before. And suddenly they're like, I don't know this version of you, like, and you're having to reintroduce yourself. And so I think it's just a really important thing that whenever you sign up to do something, you also have to consider all that's required in order to achieve it. Yeah. You're making me think two different directions, but like when you sign up, sometimes you don't know what's coming. I was thinking you're a new mom, right? Yes. As a new mom, you have all these tools and strategies in your in your bag of tricks, right? But I'm wondering, you know, what obstacles have come up for you or things that you're learning and trying to develop new tools because they are mentally taxing. Oh man, you you're hitting on such an important topic in my life right now. Hence why actually before we hopped on this Zoom, I was like, hey, I have not even taken a shower yet. Um, My son was extra fussy this morning. And so I think one of the biggest things I've learned becoming a new mom, well, there's a lot I've learned, but when it comes to mental performance is uh, giving myself grace and having compassion for myself. 
I'm not always good at that. No, we we are all struggling with this one. So <laughs> I, I'm really, it's funny. I'm really good at giving it to others. And I really struggle to give it to myself. I heard somebody say this recently. She said, it's hard to recognize you're drowning when you're the anchor for everyone else. And sometimes I feel like that and I, it's hard for me to recognize it. And with him, it's so present to me what's important because just seeing him is a reminder of it that I constantly now weigh the cost of not spending time with him. I used to weigh the cost based on, you know, many things, you know, time, effort, monetary reasons. And the cost is so much greater than any of that when it comes to him. So there's a lot of things I've had to adjust myself and it's definitely not, some days are easier than others. And a lot of times it's, okay, what is the cost of leaving him for a weekend? Or what's the cost of being gone or traveling? And I'm not, I'm certainly not traveling as much as I was last year. And that is by design because I don't want to miss things. You know, I don't want to be gone. And then on the other side, when I am here, it requires a lot of flexibility on my end. Before it was just, you know, whatever came up with work or my personal life, like it was fine. Like I just, I had to adjust, which was easy, but adjusting around him, it was almost like I had to figure out where my routines fit. I had to readjust all of my own personal routines to consider him in them. But I have to say like the two biggest words that keep coming to my mind is compassion and grace. It's a tool I haven't had to exercise as often as I now have to. And I think it's a blessing that I am getting the opportunity to exercise it because I realized, oh man, I, I went back to that same thing. How much better would I off would I have been if I was, if I offered myself this compassion even before I had him? And I, I'm going back to your magic mirror because that hearing, you know, what others would say about you is kind of like that same thing. Like give yourself that grace, that compassion. We could all use a little bit more of that for ourselves, definitely. Absolutely. I'm only a couple of years ahead of you, right? My kids are eight. And you, how old is your son? Like he's, he's brand new. Four months. <laughs> so it's, I don't know. We all have it at every stage. So we'll continue to practice our mental toughness. Our That's mental right. Toughness. That's right. <laughs> but in that same, in same boat, right? And raising these children, are there things we can think about as moms to help prepare them? So maybe they don't have to struggle as much as we are or be as you know, mindful about it. It's just natural for them. What things can we do now to help set them up for success? You know, somebody uh, I was working with, or I was talking with a a parent, they had a high school son who uh, wanted to pursue professional golf. He asked me, said, Lauren, how do you get somebody to talk to you when they're not very good at sharing their feelings? And I said, well, and he was, you know, describing his son. And then he asked me after that, he said, how can I support? And I told him, I said, well, how good are you talking about your feelings? And he said, terrible. I am like the do as I say, not as I do kind of person. And I said, well, if you want him to get good at sharing his feelings, you have to model it. So for any parent, I think that it is something I think about so often is if you want your kid to read more, put down your cell phone and read more. 
if you want your kid to be more active, you get yourself out there and be active. You know, kids are smart. The whole BS of do as I say, not as I do does not work. And so if you want them to adopt a new action, you need to be the first person to adopt it. You need to model that. And so I think that that's the first and foremost biggest thing. I will tease something that nobody knows, but there are some resources that will be coming for parents and children to work on their mental toughness from us. It's going to be a ways out, but definitely keep checking back. All right. Awesome. I'm very excited for that, for that what's coming. We'll have to do a a revisit when that's here. (laughs) And the other thing I'll say for parents, it's funny, this is advice I gave before I was a parent and I'll preface it with, I saw what happened when parents didn't do this. I saw the other side of it when I was at the Yankees, when we would take guys from college or from high school, I would see the outcome of parents not doing this thing. And so I'm going to tell every parent listening here, do this one thing. And I promise you, your kid will thank you for it when they're older. Let your kid fail. Hmm. I mean, it makes me nervous, but yes. <laughs> yes. And no, granted, there are boundaries around it, right? Like you don't want them to like, you know, bury themselves, you know, to death and like in, in trouble. But I remember I had a kid, um, really good baseball player, by the way, like has, has seen the major leagues a few times now. And he came in right out of high school and his mom asked me, you're going to make sure he doesn't eat bacon. Right. And I like, I was like, wait, what? And because one of the things they wanted him to do is like, is work on his weight. And she goes, yes, you're, you're going to make sure he doesn't eat bacon. Right. And I'm like, no, our dietitian will teach him how to eat for his body type. And it is his responsibility to decide whether or not bacon is a good option for him. And too often I would see parents do everything for him or for their kid. And on the other side of that, at the professional level, it doesn't play well. It does not play well. That guy had so much trouble, so much struggle that he didn't need to have all because he expected everybody else to do the work for him. And so as a parent, obviously, you know, you want to have boundaries to the failure, of course. But don't be afraid to let them fail. Don't be afraid to let them face adversity because the best gift you can give them is how to respond when life offers adversity. Because one day you're not going to be there to pick them up. One day you are not going to be able to solve that struggle for them. The best tool you can give them is the tool of dealing with, bouncing back and responding to things outside of their control. And the best way to do that is to do it with you as a support. It's not to mask them from life struggles, but to support them through it. Let them fail and teach them how to deal with adversity and how to bounce back from it. It's such a good reminder because as parents, right, you know, just your natural instinct is to protect and to help them and you don't want them to feel sad. But at the same time, if you can let them feel sad in those moments when you are there, to support them, like you said, pick them up and comfort them when they are. Those are the times when they can practice and it's quote safe. Well, and think about this, like what is the message you're sending by constantly trying to fix it when they're sad? You're sending the message. It's not okay to be sad. And I know that's not any parent's goal, but what we're that's what we're doing. We're communicating. It's not okay in response to that. 
as a result is that a lot of kids start to avoid it. They avoid it and they pretend it doesn't exist because they fear what will happen if they do admit that they're sad or they do admit that they're frustrated or they do admit that they're upset or they do admit that they fell short of their goals. And so when we're able to sit in that discomfort with them, what we're doing is we're creating very capable humans that are able to cope with the struggles that life is inevitably going to throw at you. And those are the people that are the most mentally tough. Mental toughness does not make you invincible. It makes you adaptable. Mm. That's that's a gem right there. <laughs> makes you adaptable. And even so, it was before we were thinking about the obstacles that were come up beforehand, and now it's being able to deal with them when they inevitably come up, right? So it's just, they're going to be there. We can have the most perfect plans, but we need to have that that muscle that's ready to help get through it. So I love all of this. We could keep talking for hours, <laughs> but I don't want to do that to you or our listeners. I do want to know, you touched on a little bit, you teased something that's coming, but what is next in your fairy tale? You've built this fabulous career for yourself. You know, you started with the Yankees. Now you are consulting on your own. So what is next for the fairy tale? Oh my gosh. There's so much. And I wish I could say all of it, but I can't. There's probably like three things I can't talk about that are so exciting. So again, keep checking back. But a couple of things that I've actually introduced is I have a group coaching program before, you know, working one-on-one with me, I only hold five spots. And for some people it's, it's great and it works really good for them. But for a lot of people, they're really looking for that sense of community. Essentially, I've disseminated all of the stuff that I do with my one-on-one clients into this program for a group. Anybody can join. And I mean, I do have, I do have some requirements. And so if it's something you're interested in, you can reach out, email hello at Lauren Johnson and co spelled A-N-D-C-O.com. And with the title EBC group coaching, and that stands for elite by choice group coaching. And so we're having a new cohort starting in the next month. So we're going to really dive into that, but that's new. This will be our second cohort. We're just finishing up with our first. And I also have a book coming out. So I'm in the middle of writing that. And so you can expect that sometime this year. Awesome. And you gave us that email, but where can our listeners find you, follow you? Because you also put out some amazing content. You've got your midweek mindset. So tell us more where they can find you. Yeah. So you can, I, I would recommend just going to my website. This is everything you need on there. So go to laurenjohnsonandco.com. And what you can find on there, you can sign up for my weekly newsletter. It's completely free, but essentially you get a midweek mindset video, one minute video sent to your inbox every week to really help you put in the reps from the mental perspective and exercise that muscle. And then on there, there's great resources like my 57 powerful coaching questions that I use with all my clients that you can use for yourself or even your clients as well. And there you can follow me on all my social media platforms. Again, there's a lot of Lauren Johnsons in the world. So all of my platforms are different. So if you go on my website, you can connect to all of them through there. Thank you so much, Lauren. This has been very educational for me. Like I feel like I've learned a lot. I'm ready to practice and put in the mental reps here. So thank you so much for sharing with us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. Ooh, I am not sure what I just signed up for in terms of the additional mental reps to my regular routine, but I am definitely fired up. Here are my top takeaways. Number one. Mindset is not everything, but it impacts everything. Know better and do better, right? So we know how important this is. We need to at least try for ourselves and if not, for our children. Number two, 
When you find that topic you are passionate about, helping others can help you find your career path. This one really spoke to me because I love that, you know, Lauren took this challenge and changed her identity and really just found a new passion that she loved and could get excited about, well, you know what, if this is helping me, how can I help others? And that just naturally led her to her own consulting practice today, right? So she didn't go to college thinking, I'm going to be a mental performance coach. She followed that passion and then through spreading the word to others, just made that career path. So I hope that those of you who don't have that career path in mind, take some comfort in that and really just start doing things that you find exciting and you're passionate about. Number three, have a feel-good folder. I loved Lauren's idea about this magic mirror. And I too had a mentor in corporate share this concept as well. But anytime you get that positive or appreciative email, a post, a text, save it. It doesn't have to be super high tech. It could be a screenshot. It could be a folder in your email, but have a place that you can regularly visit to help boost your mood because we all have those days, right? Okay, so I can't wait to see all that Lauren has for us in the future. She teased those resources coming for parents and children to work on mental toughness. I can't wait to read her book. We will definitely keep you posted when those things become available. But in the meantime, you can check out Lauren's Elite by Choice group coaching program. You can send her an email. She's got a new cohort starting soon. Or check out everything on her website and definitely you want to sign up for her weekly newsletter and get those midweek mindsets. I love them. You are going to love them too. I'll put both her email and website in the show notes so you can just click on those. And most of all, I hope you found this episode insightful and now have some new tools in your arsenal to boost your mental performance. If you did, please do me a favor, share it with a friend or even better, post it on social media, tag me so I can share it too. Together, we can help bring more people in and help them start building their own fairy tales with us. I'm not giving up on my dreams, and I hope you won't either. I'm Kristen Latini, and this is Build Your Own Fairy Tale. When I set out on my solopreneur journey, I wanted to be the most organized and professional without spending a lot of money. Sound familiar? That's when I discovered a customer relationship management platform called 17 Hats, a game changer even if you're a newbie without tons of clients. Here are three quick reasons why I love 17 Hats. Number one, it allowed me to replace my scheduling tool. Hello, one less subscription to pay for. Number two, I can effortlessly send quotes, contracts, and invoices helping me look super professional. And number three, magical workflows that allow me to automatically send emails and reminders without being tied to my inbox 24-7. The best part is they've got a free seven-day trial so you can check it out firsthand. And if you decide to purchase, here's the best part, use code FAIRYTALE for a 50% discount off your first year subscription. So head on over to 17hats.com and check it out. Here's to simplifying and making things more magical.